Good evening. We are so glad that you made it back for week two of Find Your Mission. Again, if you were looking for Regen, you're in the wrong building, but that option's available for you. Let's, uh, let's pray. We'll dive into what God would have for us tonight. God, we, man, we just thank you, first of all, uh, for our position to you. Uh, as we were reminded ourselves last week, uh, that we are broken. Uh, we are, apart from grace, useless. Um, apart from grace on a rat race, uh, on a path to make a name for ourselves, And it is by your grace and your grace alone that you have intervened in our story. You have uh, showed us that you are more beautiful than anything else, that you are better than anything else, and that anything else that we would live our life for, any other mission that we would live our life for would never measure up to what you have for us. And so we pray that you would help us to find our mission, help us not to live unwise, but wise, help us to make an impact because our days are few and we are but a vapor and we help us by your grace and by your spirit to remember that and let us make the best use of our days and pray this in Christ's name, amen. All right, well, um, last week we talked about our position and we said that if you're going to live a life of significance, it's vital, it's crucial that you and I know our position to Christ, who we are, that God created us to be this this masterpiece, this unique work of art, that we're called out, that God has said, hey, I know that you're a wreck, I know that you're a sinner, I know that you're a mess, but you're a mess that I have redeemed, you are a mess if you are in Christ that has been called out, that even though left in our own sin, left in our own ways, left to our own wisdom that we hide from God, that we seek everything that is about us. And God says, hey, I'm calling you out to a life that is more significant, a life that really makes eternal impact. And we said that God, not only has he called us out, not only has he made us unique, but he has made us beautiful. He has made us a masterpiece. There's no one else on the planet like us, that as we walk with God and as we abide in God, that he begins to do something beautiful in our life and we begin to see the brushstrokes of his character on our life and that uh, our life doesn't have to be like everyone else in the world, that we're running this race where there's no finish line, that we're uh, digging this sandcastle and we dig and we dig and we dig and there's no treasure, there's, no, there's nothing there. The waves come and just knock it over and that God has called us into this life to make a radical impact for him. And so that's what we said. And so that's our position. Now, the next three nights, we're going to look at our, the next three weeks, we're going to look at our purpose. And we're going to say, use this, this formula called SHAPE, S-H-A-P-E. And it stands for this. It's, the S is spiritual gifts. And we're going to say those are a set of special abilities that God has given us to serve and love others. That's the S in SHAPE. The next uh, night, we're going to look at our heart and our abilities, that those are these special passions that God has given us in this special set of abilities in which those passions play out. And so the S, the H, the A, the spiritual gifts, the heart, the abilities. And then that next night, we're going to look at our personality and our experiences. We're going to look at the special way that God has wired us, that's our personality, and the way that our past, both positive and painful, God uses all that uh, to make an impact. And so I'm going to share with you tonight a little bit about my story and how God has used all that 
um, in my own life to find my own mission. And so that's where we're headed. So tonight we're going to talk about spiritual, spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts. Um, you know, the great thing, if you have your Bible, if you open it to Ephesians 4, um, the great thing about this position that we have in Christ is that if you're anything like me, maybe your story is not anything like mine, but if you're anything like me at all, you, and before you were called and, and wooed by God, you were living your life for you. My life had a lot of chaos in it. My life had a lot of drama in it before Christ. I was, felt like I was going from one crisis to the next, and then Christ, by his grace, wooed me to him put me around other believers in the context of community, people that could admonish me, which I require a lot of that often, people who could love me, people that uh, would help bring the best out in me, people who really loved me for me. Now, these aren't friends, you know, that you would go and just drink with at a bar somewhere who just liked you because of what you could do for them. These were people that really love you, that really care about you, that really have your best interest in mind. And so God, by his grace, brought me into a local church And he said, hey, I want you to be a part of this body. I want you to walk with others who love me too, that know my name and that walk with me. And so as Christians, part of our position, we're not meant to be in isolation. We don't just become saved and then still live like a hermit somewhere in our house, that we walk with people. We do life with people. People know us. We share our struggles. That's how we live. We don't do well in isolation. Christianity is not a faith of isolation. We don't live like that. We live with others. We live in the context of relationships. And there's a lot of you in this room tonight that can attest to how your life changed once you got around people that walked in genuine community, that did the one another's of Scripture, that didn't judge you, but they loved you. They were patient with you. They were kind with you. That's how we grow. That's how we we live. And so part of our position to Christ is we're part of this body. I want you to look with me in Ephesians 4. Verse 4, and so what Paul's going to do is going to talk to the church of Ephesus who had a lot going on, but he's going to remind them of a few things. And he's going to say this, he's going to say, there's one body and one spirit, just as you you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who's over all and through all and in all. Now, you don't have to do this right now, but in your own time, you can just circle the number ones in there. But if you're reading this in Greek, you, even in English, it comes out. It's this sense of one, 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 one unity. And he says, if you're going to be a part of a body, you work together. You become unified. And so what was going on here and what was going on in Corinth is that people had these gifts. People had these abilities. People were serving God. And here's the crazy thing about sin is that even in the midst of doing good things, for God, you can sin. And so people were becoming jealous. They said, hey, this person has this gift. I want that gift. Hey, this person's getting the spotlight on them. I want that spotlight. This person's doing this. I want to do this. I want, I'm a hand. I want to be a foot. I'm an eye. I want to be an ear. And Paul said, before we even get into gifts, you have to also be reminded of your position, not just to God, but to each other. And it's all about unity. So there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. One, 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 one. You see, we're not to be prideful or to boast in anything but Christ. And this is what Paul is reminding the church at Ephesus. He's going, hey, anything that you have, listen, anything that you have, any gift that you have, when we say the word, oftentimes when I send an email to someone and I say, hey, my gifts, or hey, here's what I'm good at, I always put it in parentheses. And I always hope that they know what I mean. But what I mean is 
none of these gifts are mine. There's no point in life that I jumped into my mother's womb and I said, hey, I want to somehow, uh, you know, arrange the DNA in a way that I can talk out loud. Or I want to arrange the DNA in such a way that I can be witty and somehow teach God's word. Like that never happened in life. See, every single gift is a gift from God. It's all his. There's no talent or ability that you have that is your doing. You know, most of us in this room have pretty much most things in common. I mean, if you're a believer, like you didn't, your salvation isn't your own. That's from Christ. Your, your faith isn't your own. There's, I mean, there's not very many things that you're in control of. We, we like to think we have control, but, but God arranges things. God arranges our steps. God really gives us our personality. God gives us our gifts. And so before we start any conversation on spiritual gifts, we have to give credit to the one who the gifts belong to, who they are, who gave them to us. The, I mean, everything. Everything. If you're a basketball player, you know, you see basketball players get on TV and, and, and we celebrate sports figures, you know, like, yeah, look at that guy. He's awesome. Like, yes, you're Peyton Manning. We'd celebrate it. Like, he had nothing to do. Yeah, sure, he worked hard. He developed his gifts. But God gave him that body. God gave him the ability to do what he does. I mean, everything, even if you're not a believer, they all belong to God. God arranges everything. Even the parents that, you're belong, that you are born into, the culture that you're born into, God is sovereign over all of that. And so we got to give credit to where credit is due and say everything is yours. And so what Paul is reminding folks here is, look, you, you can't be going around acting, taking credit for things that aren't yours. It's one God, one body, one spirit, one God who's over everything. And then he says, but grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. He gave gifts to men. I have this friend who I've been friends with for about um, probably 17 years, and, and we have walked through some hard times, some good times. Uh, this friend does not know Jesus. This friend is, you know, he would say he's an atheist. I, I say there are no atheists. Like, I mean, everyone at some point in time is going to believe in God. You're not going to be an atheist for eternity. But he would say he's an atheist. And so we have uh, been friends for a really long time, and often about every couple of months, I mean, a couple of times a year, he will make this comment about, man, hey, they, they just have you brainwashed over there at your church. Like, you guys are all a bunch of lemmings. Like, you guys all believe the same thing. Uh, you guys all have these rules of how to live your life, what you can do, what you can't do, who you can marry, what type of person, who you can't marry, um, what kind of movies you can see, what you can't see, what you can drink, what you can't drink. I mean, you guys are all a bunch of lemmings. You're all a bunch of people who are just uh, brainwashed. That's what, he, that's what he says. He tells me that often. And he says... Um, that we lost our identity. You know, you guys don't even have an identity anymore. When you were not a part of that church, you were like you, you were partying, you were having fun, you weren't brainwashed, you weren't conformed to the image of all these people that go to that building. You were like different. And so I I was different. (laughs) Here's what I tell Mike. His name's Mike. Here's what I tell him. I, I say, Mike, you don't lose your identity as a Christian. You discover it. You don't lose your identity as a believer. You discover who you really, you really are. It's only when you live for him do you really find out who you truly are. And so what I tell my friend Mike is, Mike, no, 23 years of my life, I lived like you. I lived like everyone around me. Everything that everyone in the world and the culture was telling me to be, that's who I lived like. So if anything, I was a lemming when I was outside of the faith. 
See, the Bible says that we're a masterpiece, and you can only become a masterpiece, a one-of-a-kind work of art, when you're abiding with the one who made the masterpiece. See, it's the world. It's everyone outside that door who is a limbing. I mean, the Bible says here in you know, verse 80, says, he gave gifts to men. It goes on, we talked about last week, that you're a masterpiece. This word where we get poem, poetry. And it's only when we uh, pursue God when we pour ourselves into him and allow our lives to be a reflection of his lives, do we become who we really are? As we pursue Christ, his brush strokes are evident in our life, and then we bump into people and we change their lives. It's, it's, a, it's, a, beautiful, it's a beautiful picture. You know, Tim Keller says this. Tim Keller says the great thing about God is he can make straight lines out of crooked pencils. You know, it's a beautiful story that my life is a wreck. Like, if you really knew me in real life, you wouldn't want to be my friend. Like, I'm a mess. I mean, I am really a mess. Apart from the grace of God, apart from people in my life loving me, like my life is a mess. And the fact that God would go, hey, I want to take a mess and use you to do something for good, like that's a miracle. I mean, I don't know what you think about miracles, but my life is a miracle. Many of you, your life is a miracle. So what you've got to know is this, is that any conversation about spiritual gifts, that one, Paul always starts out with the fact, the Bible always starts out with the fact that we're one. We have more in common than we have different and then two uh, and then two that god has given us gifts that we're unique that we're uniquely designed we're a masterpiece and it's only when we're pursuing christ that we really know who we truly are our true identity is only is only found as we pursue christ that's it and the tragedy is many people live their entire life my father lived his entire life until he drank himself to death pursuing the world and he never found out who he was my mother is on a course to do the same thing and I try to love them. I try to woo them. And they think I'm nuts. And I'm like, Mom, like, you're never going to know. You're never going to have full joy until you're living the life Christ has designed you to make. And it's a tragedy. People live their entire life and don't get that. And we, and we, we have to get that. So what we're going to do quickly is we're going to look at what, what spiritual gifts are not. What, what they are not. Before we look at what they are, we're going to look about what they are not. And so the first one is they're not talents. A spiritual gift is not a talent. Um, a talent is a natural ability. It's something that you're just, you know, you're good at it. I mean, God still worked in your DNA, but like my wife can play the piano. Awesome. That's not a spiritual gift. She just can play the piano. She learned how to play the piano, took lessons on how to play the piano, developed her talent of playing a piano. I don't necessarily know that we're going to bring her in and let her play the, the piano on Sunday morning as her spiritual gift to build up the church. She can play chopsticks, both parts, I think. But that's a talent. That's a gift. That's a natural gift. Um, and some of us have other talents. Like just because we're good at speaking doesn't mean that God's going to use us as a teacher to build up the body. Just because we're a singer doesn't mean God's going to use us to sing to build up the body. So you may be a really good leader at work, this, this micromanager at work, but in the, in, the, in the body of Christ, you might be an oppressive leader that hoards over people instead of building them up. Just because you have a talent, that doesn't mean that's your spiritual gift. You can be a great salesperson, a great school teacher, but that doesn't mean that's your spiritual gifts. Um, a girl, her name's Leslie Flynn, she puts it like this. She says, talents have to do with techniques and methods. Gifts have to do with spiritual abilities. Um, talents depend on natural power. Gifts depend on spiritual endowment. So if you ever kind of want to do a litmus test, you'd have to ask yourself, and there's, sometimes there's a blurry line there, but... Is this a gift or a talent? And you have to say, hey, do I have to depend on God to do this thing? Or am I just, can I just wake up and roll out of bed and do this thing? 
And sometimes those lines cross. But do you depend on yourself or do you depend on God's empowerment? Um, personality. You know, a personality test. Sometimes you go to churches or online and they give you like a personality test. Uh, personality tests are not a good indicator of your spiritual gifts. Sometimes God stretches us. Sometimes God wants us to do things out of our comfort zone. But here's what I've learned is that oftentimes um, your personality is sort of the vehicle. This book puts it this way, the, the vehicle in which God expresses your spiritual gifts. You say, I mean, if you're outgoing and you love to be around people all the time, there's a good opportunity, a good chance that God's going to use your spiritual gifts to be around people, to bump into others, to encourage others. Um, So your your personality becomes a vehicle by which God uses your spiritual gifts. Fruit of the Spirit. Now, fruit of the Spirit, that's Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Fruits of the Spirit are love. And joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 through 23. Um, you can look those up if you want to check those out. But those are the things that as we abide with Christ, so if you want a litmus test of if you are abiding with Christ, you ask yourself, or if you're married, you ask your wife, sweetheart, how am I doing in these things? Am I becoming more patient, more kind, more good, more faithful, more gentle, more self-control? And if they say no, that's a problem. So a believer grows in the fruit of the Spirit as they abide with Christ. Those aren't your spiritual gifts. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's the, the fruit uh, that the Spirit produces in your life. The fruit of the Spirit is, is the, uh, the fruit of the Spirit is the contribution to our character. Spiritual gifts reveal the contribution we make to the body of Christ. The fruit of the Spirit changes who we are. The gifts of the Spirit change what we do. They affect what we do. The Spirit is who we are. The gifts of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit is who we are. The spiritual gifts affect what we do. That's not our personality. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Um, So those are what they are not. And we're going to look at what are... Spiritual gifts. If you have your Bible, if you'll flip over to 1 Corinthians 12. And um, this is kind of a lot of application here. And so just kind of, I'll put these notes and these slides online as well somewhere. And and we'll get these to you or we'll send them out by email. So don't feel like you got to go bananas with your pen. Um, 1 Corinthians 12. What are spiritual gifts? There are several passages in the Bible that people go to when they talk about spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12 is, is, is is a big one. It says, now concerning spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now, if you know anything about Corinth, if you've been in church very long, you know Corinth is sort of like a modern-day Dallas, right? I mean, modern-day whatever. People just live for themselves. There's debauchery. There's every kind of sin going on, much like our own city. It's a city where people choose their way over God's way. And so Paul is often uh, giving them truth, giving them wisdom. And he says, hey, I, you know, concerning spiritual gift brothers, he's talking to believers, I don't want you to be uh, uninformed. And what he means here is, I, I don't want you to miss out on the things that God has given to you. It would be this, this idea, you know, of like, if you have children and, and, and you, you know, I know growing up, we would have these, we would like hide presents around the tree and you'd be looking, you'd open up presents and then there'd be like one way back and you would point or like with my little three-year-old, I'll point and go, hey, look, look way in the back, dig, and he'll find one. Like, 
What Paul's saying here is that. It's like, I don't want you to miss out on what God's doing here. It isn't, that's the word uninformed. I don't want you to miss out. God's got something for you with these gifts, and I don't want you to miss out. And then he goes on to say, you know that when you were uh, pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However you were led, I want you to understand that no one is speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is a curse, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to say, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Get that? The unity. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. Get that? Unity. Same, same. Varieties of activities, but the same God. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now here's the definition we're going to go with for spiritual gifts. A spiritual gift is a God-given Special ability given to every believer at conversion by the Holy Spirit to share his love and strengthen the body of Christ. A God-given special ability given to every believer at conversion to share his love and strengthen the body of Christ. Um, Now, why does God give spiritual gifts? Why does he give believers gifts. I mean, he's God. He could do whatever he wants, right? I mean, he could run the show if he wants, but this is the great thing about walking with Christ is that we're not just put on earth and then he goes away and then it's like, hey, live your life. Like he puts us here for something. Remember he gives us, he gave Adam and Eve a garden. He gave them a place and and, and God said, hey, I'm going to put you in that place and I want you to subdue it. I want you to rule over the animals. He said, I'm going to give you a place and a purpose. And so God gives us a purpose. And so why does he give Spiritual gifts. Look with me at verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit, the other. And he goes on and he lists these out. But he gives these to us as a means, as, as a means of building up the church, as helping the church. He gives us these gifts to help the church, to build each other up. Um, what we said earlier is acknowledging who the gift giver is. You know, a spiritual gift isn't about you and it's not for you. A spiritual gift helps the church. A spiritual gift isn't to make you look good. It isn't to make you feel good. Um, it's to help the church. It's to build up the church. It isn't so you can be a people pleaser. It isn't so you can look really spiritual. It's to help the church. That's why God has given us spiritual gifts, to build other people up, to build his church. We are his church. And so when you hear us use the word church, around Watermark, we, we don't really ever mean Watermark. This is like a building, and you might have heard Todd say this before, and oftentimes people will come here from another place, and they'll walk in, and they'll tell Todd, they'll go, hey, I really like your church. And Todd will go, hey, who'd you meet? And because what he means is, hey, this building isn't the church. This isn't Watermark. This is the place where we gather during the week and get together and remind ourselves of God's goodness. But this is the church. You know, so when you're out in the community and you're loving people and you say, hey, someone's in need and you say, hey, go to my church. Like, no, wait, you, you're, the church is already there. You're the church. Help them. You are the church. We're the church. And so it's saying, hey, a spiritual gift is a means that God has given us, a provision that God has given us to build up his church, to do great things for his church. Here's the great, the great, the great part is who gets a spiritual gift? Who gets a spiritual gift? Verse 7 again, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Every believer gets a spiritual gift. Every believer gets a spiritual gift. Now, you know, you may not feel very gifted. You know, I, I, I 
told you briefly in my testimony last week, like I grew up in a broken home. I grew up, you know, my, my mom and dad, I don't ever remember my dad reading the Bible to me. I don't ever remember sitting around the coffee table, the dinner table, praying and sharing our favorite Bible stories. Like it wasn't until much later in life that I began to see the truth of God's word by his grace. And I never had a dad. My dad wasn't really the kind of dad that built um, into us in that way. I mean, he didn't say, hey, man, God has designed you for this great destiny. You know, you're going to go change the world for Jesus. You know, my dad never told me any of that, any of those things. And so what happened is in my life, I, I began to find approval, like I said, said last week, in stuff, my career, you know, what other people think about me. And, and my self-worth wasn't all that great. I, I didn't know that I had anything to offer. And then one day I stumbled into a church and everyone in that church looked really perfect. And I remember thinking like, man, everyone in this place has like really got their life together. Like you would go to a group and they would go, let's go around the circle and share our sin. And the guy next to me would be like, hey, I ran a stop sign or whatever. I didn't read my Bible long enough today. And I was like, oh my goodness. Like if I tell these guys my sin, they're going to kick me out of this place. And, and so I just felt really unusable by God. I mean, I didn't, didn't feel like I had a lot to offer. And then I would see these guys do things. I mean, they look so gifted. And I just felt like, man, what does a high school dropout have to offer? You know, I, I didn't know what I had to offer. And people would read these texts to me and I'd go, man, that's really great. But man, I'm not really good at anything. I, I mean, I'm not really athletic. I, I, I mean, I, I talk a lot and got in a lot of trouble at school for talking a lot, but I don't know what I have to offer. And man, the Bible here, it says, man, look, everybody, everybody, even if you don't feel gifted, you have a gift. There's no special level of knowledge. There's no maturity required. There's no degree required. Every Christian, every believer has a gift. And you may not have discovered your gift. And if not, you're in the right place. You know, you might have been trucking along like me and thinking, man, I don't really have anything to offer. Like every place I go, I mess it up. You know, God, you don't want me to be a part of this. If you bring me on the team, I'm going to mess something up. That's my gift. My gift is messing things up. Like you don't want to. And God goes, hey, let me take you. You know, let me take a Rick Smith who is rough around the edges and let me, by my grace, bring sandpaper to the rough edges of his life and round him out and then use him for my glory. And so if you're here today and you're a little rough around the edges, you're in the right place. We're all a bunch of people who are rough around the edges. We're all a bunch of people, if we were to just, you know, strip all of our facade away to lay all of our cards on the table, we would all say the same thing, man, that we're trying to, to be used. We're trying to have acceptance. We want you to like us, you know, like, and let's just say that, man, we're all messes. We're all at times feel like that. God, could you use us? Do I have anything to offer? You use other people, but you don't use me. And God goes, hey, look, you have a gift. You have a gift and I want to use your gift. So if you're here tonight, I don't know what your background is, but you need to know one thing is that you have a gift, at least one gift. Now, some of you are like 10 talent people. And if I asked you to raise your hand, you would say, man, I'm humble. I'm going to humbly tell you I'm a 10 talent guy. <laughs> but look, you have at least one gift that God wants to use to make an impact in the world. And so we want to help you do that. So how do you discover, how do you discover your spiritual gifts? Because it's important to find your gifts because you, what you don't want to do is, is and we're going to talk about some pitfalls of spiritual gifts here in a second, but what you don't want to do is start serving in a place that you're not gifted in because 
you know, many of you have had jobs in your life that you hated, you know, and it was a drain going to work, and it was a drain doing that thing. It didn't give you life. Maybe you volunteered somewhere at some point in your life. Someone, you know, begged you to volunteer for something that you hated, and you go do that, and you're like, man, this is, and I'm not saying everything that you do in the body of Christ you're going to absolutely love, but it's important to know what gives you life. It's important, important to know how you're gifted so that you can find the fit, so that you can find where you get, and you're, it's like a puzzle. You know, you, get, you, you kind of put pieces around on a puzzle, and you think, is that that? Oh, it kind of looks like that. And then you move it, and then it fits, and you go, man, that's the spot. That's what God wants to do in your life. And so you got a couple different ways. Spiritual gift test. We're actually going to send you one of these by email. We may... Um, so that's going to be in your, in your inbox this week, maybe tomorrow. And, um, and, and that's, an, that's an opportunity. I, I think personally that the best way to find your spiritual gift is going to be a combination of the things that we're about to talk about. I don't think there's any one way. I th- and I, I think a lot of times what will happen is you, you're going to be confirmed through all these things. All these things will kind of point you in the same direction is what I think. And so spiritual gift test. Now listen. Okay. Is it, did any of you guys write a spiritual gift test here? Because I don't want to offend you if you ever wrote one of these things. But the spiritual gift test, you don't have to be an ace to do one of these, right? It's like, do you love to pray? Yes. You might have the gift of prayer. You know, like, they're not that silly. But it's like, do you love teaching people things? Yes. You might have the gift of teaching. Like, okay. But a spiritual gift test. Now, they're more elaborate than that. Um, but, but I think sometimes they're no-brainers. I mean, a spiritual gift test, experience. I think this is a good one. Experience, you jump in and you just start serving. You see what you enjoy doing. You see what fills you up, what gives you life. Now, listen, here's a warning about this. Don't assume that you know yourself as well as you think you do. Don't assume that you know yourself as well as you think you do. Let me give you an example. So I lived in Houston before I moved to Dallas, and and. Before, I was going to Dallas Seminary and, and thought that I knew everything that there was to know. I was really prideful, really arrogant, and I went into this church, and I, and I said, hey, I, 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 would, I would like to teach your, your big high school event at this thing. I, I mean, I've done this other places, and, and man, I, I want to get plugged in with the youth, but I don't want to be the guy that sets up tables, like that my gifts would get wasted if I set up tables. I mean, there's really a lot of other really great table setter-uppers. I think you need me to teach you guys a, f- a thing or two about, about the Bible. And they said, well, hey, that'd be really great, but we actually do have a teaching place. And I was like, yeah, I know you do. Where, where's it at? And they're like, the junior high class that meets at 1030 that has about 10 kids in it. And I was like, no, nah, man, I'm not really the junior high type, not really the 10-kid t- class type. <laughs> and here's what they said, man, hey, we re- if you want to serve here, the spot we have for you is the 1030 junior high class with about 10 kids in it. I was like, all right, man, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. So I went into this class, junior high kids, okay, which if you know anything about junior high kids, if you're a teacher, they're junior high kids. And so there was like this guy in there who was like 50 years old, and no offense to nerds, but he looked really nerdy in a, in a godly way. I mean, he, he had <laughs> high water pants on. He had glasses. He was a um, system admin for this place. If, I were, if you were to stereotype nerd, it, that would be what I would pick, right? And let, the story gets better. I redeem it. And I went in there, and I listened to this guy teach the Bible, and I was so arrogant and prideful. The guy stood up, and he was monotone. He said, Jesus, Matthew 3, he loves you. And Matthew and Jesus, 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 Jesus loves you. 
And I was like, man, how does anybody walk out of here knowing the Bible with that? You know, and it's so prideful. And um, here's what I learned. All of these kids, his name was Wes, all of these kids begin to just hug Wes. And they would tell stories about Wes and how Wes impacted his life. And I was like, this guy, like, how does this guy impact your life? What is it about Wes? And, and you know what was crazy is I learned something. Like, Wes served these kids. He invited them into their house. He had get-togethers. He went to their games. He called them. He emailed, I mean, he was invested in them. He, dis, he was a disciple maker. And I, and I watched this guy pour into these middle school kids. And I was like, man, I want to be, God, by your grace, could I be a guy that serves people like Wes? And then the craziest thing happened. They're like, hey, can you start teaching this little junior high class. And I was like, man, I would love to teach this junior high class. And then God used this, this, this time, like every week preparing a message, week in, week out, that began to help develop some of my own abilities that I really wasn't quite sure how those would play out. And God began to use that experience in my life. And I said, so now my boss at that time, his name was CM. He, we're, we're good friends now. And I remember saying, and I went on from that job to become a youth pastor, and I worked with middle school students for a long time, and I really have a heart and passion for middle school. But I wouldn't have ever known that had God had nodded lovingly through CM and my boss Nick, say, hey, this is the only spot we got for you. This is the door that I'm opening for you. And so what you've got to do a lot of times in your life is say, God, prayerfully, what door do you have open for me? What's the opportunity that you have? And never, ever, ever think you know yourself as well as you think you do. Never make the mistake of doing that. Uh, you, 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 um, don't wait for God to start filling in all the blanks in your life. Don't, don't wait for God to remove all the uncertainty. In fact, here's the crazy thing. As you begin to walk with God and abide with God and try to find your mission, God may put uncertainty in your life so you have to trust him more. That's the crazy thing about God. He wants to develop your character, develop you, and God loves bad odds. He loves when it doesn't make sense. That's how God works. And so you trust, and you get experience, and you jump in. If you're not serving anywhere at Watermark, if you're a member here, uh, which if you are a member here, that's a, part, that's a requirement for membership is that you serve and that you're a part of community because we feel very strongly as a church that every member needs to use their gifts. And we think it's a sin if you don't. That's what the Bible says. Like You have to use your gifts. God's given those to you to steward. And so we want to equip you. We want you to honor God and be obedient with God in using your gifts. And so if you're not serving anywhere, you need to serve somewhere. You don't have to have it all figured out. And listen, here's the great thing about Watermark. We don't ask you to sign a four-year contract to serve somewhere. It's okay for you to serve and go, hey, I don't really think I'm cut out for this. I don't think I lie. I don't think this gives me life. It would be like me serving somewhere and being like the, you know, the Excel spreadsheet person. I would do that for like 30 seconds and go, hey, man, I'm not your spreadsheet guy. There are other people who love spreadsheets. They dream about spreadsheets. I'm not your spreadsheet guy. But you don't know oftentimes that you're not the spreadsheet guy unless you try it. Unless you try it. Prayer. Prayer. I think sometimes we, um, we shortchange prayer. You know, I, I think even in my own life, it's so convicting. I think about that we have access to the creator of the entire world, the entire universe, the one who holds the whole world in his hands, and and yet we don't take advantage. I don't take advantage of that often. Um, Man, but but prayer is, is, I mean, 
it's the capstone. I mean, that's it. I mean, that's our direct line, our direct connection that we have access to God through Jesus Christ. And so, man, we should always pray. The Bible says, man, pray about everything. Everything at all times in prayer and supplication. Make your requests known to God. If any of you lacks wisdom, pray to the one who gives it. And so we go, hey, man, there's so many times that I go, I don't know what to do. I don't know what, what, you know, what the right thing. And God's like, hey, have you talked to me about it yet? I'm, you know, I'm God. <laughs> I'm the creator of everything. And so, man, you've got to pray and say, God, would you help me? Help me to discover my spiritual gifts. One I didn't have on here was confirmation and affirmation from others. I think this is a big one. Confirmation and affirmation from others. You ask people in your life, people who know you well, people that you trust, people that you're in community with, hey, do you think this is a gift that I'm gifted at? I sense this might be something that I'm gifted at. What do you think? Um, And hopefully you have people that love you enough to be honest with you. They love you enough to be honest with you. It's like the person that says, man, I'm... I think I'm a really gifted singer. You know, you watch American Idol and you see those people that go, man, I'm like really great at singing. My whole family says I'm really great at, get, at singing. And you're like, man, your family lies to you. <laughs> this is not your gift. And so confirmation and affirmation from others. I mean, as you feel, I mean, you know, people will come around and go, hey, you're really great at this. Has anyone told you that you're good at this? And when you begin to start seeing those things together, you pray, you take a test, and that test somehow tells you, hey, this is something that you're good at. You, you, you jump in somewhere and you start serving, and you feel that you're pretty good at that, that you feel like that gives you life. And then someone else observes you, and they go, hey, man, you're really good at this. Has anybody told you they, they affirm you? Like, that's a pretty good sign. Those are pretty good fits, a litmus test from God that you're in the right, the right spot. Now what we're going to look at quickly is some traps of spiritual gifts. These are some warnings. These are some things that we can fall into um, if we're not careful. If you're still with me on 1 Corinthians, look down at verse 21. It says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you. Nor again can the head say to the feet that I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body we think they're less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable uh, parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked in it. There may be no division in the body but the, the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So the very first trap is comparison. It's comparison. This is what happens when we place greater value on certain gifts. When we say, hey, that person has that gift, and their gifts are, are more important. Their, their gifts are better. Um. You know, the eye can't say to the feet, I don't need you. The eye can't say, hey, I mean, think about, I mean, that, this illustration is so silly. It's so elementary, but it's so deep. I mean, really, if the body could talk and go, hey, I, you know, I'm an ear. Man, I, you know, I really wish I was an eye. And the eye's like, whoa, we need an ear. <clears throat> I mean, that's, that's how it works. And so, comparison. Listen, there are no second-rate masterpieces hanging in the art gallery of God. And that sounds cheesy. That sounds Christian, but... Man, God uniquely made you. You're the, only, you're the only you there is. Like, we do this all the time, man. Christians are so bad about seeing someone else do something, and they try to be that person. Like, singers do that with people that they hear singing. They try to sound like them. You ever heard a, you know, thank goodness that we have an incredible worship 
pastor at Watermark. I mean, John Abel, I mean, I love that. I mean, he really is a pastor. He's a pastor. But man, you go somewhere and you hear a guy singing, and sometimes they try to mimic like the voice of the guy they're singing, and it seems so inauthentic sometimes. And you go, bro, just be you. Be the you that God created you to be. You don't have to comp- Teachers do this. They, they hear a sermon, they hear a guy speak, and they try to be like that guy. Like, man, just be you. God's only going to use you if you're you. And so that all goes back to what we talked about the first night, being secure in who God created you to be, being confident in who God created you to be. Listen, you don't have to be anybody else. God has given you a gift. God's given you a gift. And so if you feel insecure, trust me, I feel insecure often. I have to fight against it all the time. Listen, I work at a church with a, let me tell you something, okay, since we're friends. I worked at a church before this, a couple of churches, and I was like varsity, okay? I was like the all-star team. I, I mean, I mean this very humbly, but I felt like my ideas were all tens, okay? I'm just being honest with you. I came to Watermark cocky like that my first few months. Everyone here was like a 10. Everyone here was varsity. And man, I was so insecure. This place breeds insecurity. People here are so gifted. They love God. They love people. And I came, and man, my ideas are awesome. And man, I really had a tough few months. I always joke, I, this isn't a joke, but seriously, I've cried more working at Watermark than any other job <laughs> at any other place I've ever been at. Ask Todd. Tweet him. Because, man, people love me here. People love me here. And, and, and when you love someone, you don't just leave them where they're at. You tell them truth. And so, man, God has really shaped me here. God has made me more confident in who he is here. God has made me trust him more here. God has made me say, hey, I've learned this. My friend JP taught me this phrase when I first came to work here. He said, I'm going to teach you a magic, magic phrase. If you really want to succeed, not just at Watermark, but anywhere you go, I'm going to teach you a magic, magic phrase. And I said, JP, tell me the magic phrase. He said, here you go. How can I serve you? How can I serve you? And he said, man, you just need to ask people, hey, man, how can I serve you? How can I serve you? And he said, man, if you do that, I mean, talk about job security. I mean, People want, I mean, how can I serve you? And then really every day pray, God, hey, help me serve people today. And man, look, I've seen fruit of that in my life. And so you talk about comparison, how easy it is to fall in that trap. Man, I know more than any of you. And you have to just constantly say, God, hey, would you protect my heart from that trap? And would you help me be confident in who you made me to be, not compare myself to anyone else, and know that you made me for me for a reason. Projection. Um, This is another big one. Just because you love a ministry doesn't mean everyone else loves the same ministry that you love, okay? Um, If you're the kind of person in this room and you win someone to Jesus every single week, okay, you can't make other people feel bad because they don't lead people to Jesus every week like you do, okay? Um, If you're the kind of person that like, man, you're, you know, some people are like this and I think it's awesome, but they go, man, hey, guess what I did yesterday? What'd you do yesterday? I sold all my belongings, sold my house, and I moved to Oak Cliff, and I live in this really poor area with bullets flying by every day, and it's amazing. Not stereotyping Oak Cliff, but that's just what happens in my neighborhood. And it's amazing. And I, I, in fact, I only live on a dollar and 23 cents a day. And man, we're really living the life for Jesus. And I'm like, bro, that's awesome. I live in Valley Ranch. I mean, that's just how the cards fell. You can't make me feel bad because I don't have the same gifts, the same heart, the same passion, the same mission that you have. And so that's just how it is. We can't project. I do this with my wife all the time. She has the gift of mercy. I do not have the gift of mercy. 
So we'll talk about what prophecy means later, but prophecy means you tell the truth. And so I tell the truth to people. And my wife goes, hey, you told the truth to that guy. That sounded really harsh. I'm like, you're just way too nice, Abby. And so I always say, I make people cry, and she gives them the Kleenex. That's how it goes. But you know what I do sometimes? I go, Abby, you need to be more straight with people. She works with some Catholics. I hope they don't download this message. And I go, Abby, you need to go to work tomorrow and tell those Catholic girls, they need to come to Watermark and hear the gospel straight up. And, you know, I, I won't fill in the blank. You need to get them to come to Watermark. And she's like, Rick, I work with those people. I'm going to do relational evangelism. I'm like, you've been relationally evangelizing them for like six months. Drop the hammer. And she's like, Rick, I'm not like you. She says, Rick, I'm not like you. I don't move like you move. And neither one of us are wrong. I have things to learn from my wife. My wife has things to learn from me. But what I can't do is say she's doing it wrong. And we have to be careful. Whatever our gifts are and whatever our passions and our hearts are, to think other people have to feel the same way we feel. Okay, you're uniquely designed. Your passions are your passions. Um, Rejection. This is when we don't accept the gifts that God has given to us. You know, this is often like that false humility, you know. Someone goes, hey, man, I'm not really good at this. And this is why it's important for us to encourage each other and for us to to build into other people. And when you see someone that's really great at something, listen, you've got to take the time to encourage them. This is something that I've learned here at Watermark since I've worked here, and I've gotten better at it, and I want to still continue to get better at it, but I want to affirm people. And when I see someone doing well, like Peter, you didn't see him, but we, we, the screens weren't working. He left what he was doing, and he came in here, and he fixed his stuff, and I didn't have a chance to see him because he ran to another thing that he was at. But tomorrow I'm going to go probably publicly in our meeting, man, Peter, you saved the day. I, I couldn't even get these screens on. I mean, you're awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Like, we have to affirm people. And so when you see someone often and, they, and you see them and they're really great with kids, you know, we have a great need here. I'm not trying to push you to, to children's ministry, but God has really blessed us with a lot of young children at Watermark. We have a lot of young families coming in. We have a lot of young children in, and we have a great need. We turn families away on Sundays. And oftentimes you'll see people that say, hey, I'm not really great with kids. Now listen, we don't want someone that's really not great with kids and hates kids working in our children's ministry. <laughs> but sometimes you feel people, people say, I'm not great with kids, and they really are. They just feel insecure about their gifts. And we got to go, hey, I saw you. Like I have a friend who, he, he's been around our house a lot, and I said, hey, bro, you're, you're like really good with my children. I have a th- a th- almost four-year-old and a seven-month-old. Man, you're really good. We go out to dinner. He comes with us sometimes. Man, you're really good with students. He volunteers in our middle school area now. But, he, but he's like, I don't know, man. I don't know. I, you know, I don't know how I do. Bro, you're, I'm telling you, am I the only person that's ever, like, you're great at kids. You're, you're, you get along well with them. You're not scared. You're not allergic to them. And so listen, don't reject gifts. Again, like I told you, don't assume you know yourself as well as God knows you. Give yourself permission to be the person God gifted you to be. Don't just assume, and I'm not good at that. Don't reject the gifts. Deception. A couple more, and we're going to take a break. Deception is this. Deception is this trap of Satan trying to manipulate you into thinking that you have certain gifts that you don't have. You trying to become someone that you're not. Listen, this will make you miserable. I I mean, literally, trying to do something that you're not cut out to do, either because someone wants you to do it, you've always really wanted to do it, This will prevent you from accomplishing the mission that God really has designed you to accomplish. Deception. Some of you, deception and denial kind of go together there, and that's why it's important 
Man, I hope that you're in a community group. Listen, I hope that you're in a community group because we could teach a whole other class on how you would never be the person that God really designed you to be unless you're walking in life with other people who love you. I mean, I, I lived my life 23 years in isolation, living for me, keeping secrets, compartmentalizing my life. This person on Sundays, this person on Fridays, like that, that's not the life for you. And so you have people that love you and you go, hey man, do you think I'm good at this? And you know, I used to have braces when I was a kid in middle school. And um, I had this friend and, and, and um, he would like discreetly tell me at lunch, hey man, you got, you know, you got some broccoli in your braces, you know? And I always remember that. He didn't do it to embarrass me, but he really was like, hey, man, you have broccoli in your braces. I don't want to embarrass you, but you don't want to embarrass yourself, dude. And sometimes we need friends in our life to lovingly tell us when we have broccoli in our braces, so to speak. You know, to so, say, hey, look, look, I, I want to tell you something that you love me enough, and I know that you'd want to know this, but you're going to make a fool out of yourself and be miserable in the process if you try to do that. And so deception, uh, believing that you're gifted at something that you're not. Um, and then here's the final one, not, not using them, not using them. Um, you know, I have this blog, and I'm going to tell you about it after our break here in a second. Um, it's called noahsdad.com. We reach millions of people a month through this website. Um, they, they God has, it's just a crazy story. Um, but, but I just, man, I just don't have the time sometimes to do it. I don't often write on it. Um, I used to do it every day, and then I came on staff here, and I have a family, other priorities, and that sort of um, got swept under the rug, and so I haven't really built into that as much as I used to build into that, and it's a conviction that I have, and God said, hey, you really need to start using this again, using your gifts and writing, because when you do this, uh, people are built up and encouraged, and, and I just haven't done it in a while, and then when you don't do things in a while, you kind of lose your groove, you're not as into it as you, as you were and so not using your gifts, you, you can waste talents that God has given you by not using them, by just getting busy. You know, life, I mean, we, I mean life is crazy. I mean, we, we'll just always schedule ourselves busy, 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 and it's just crazy. And so we've got to say, hey, God, what are the gifts? Ask people in our life, what are our gifts? And then we've got to use our gifts. Um, if you have your Bible, flip over to Matthew 25. We're going to look at one last passage. And this is a warning passage. It's a warning pass. It's the, it's the parable of the talents. Yeah, Matthew 25. It says, uh, this is Jesus ter- telling this parable to these folks. And he says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one of his servants, he gave five talents. A a talent is this monetary unit worth about 20 years of wages. And so that's what a talent is. It isn't like, hey, I'm good at playing the piano. It's it's 20 years of wages, a lot of money. So he gave one five talents. To another, he gave two. To another, one. To each according to his ability. And he went away. He who received the five talents went at once. And he traded with him. And he made five talents talents more. So he increased, he did more with his talents. So also he had two talents, made two talents more. But he who received the one talent went away and he dug in the ground and he hid the money. Now, after a long time, the master of the servants came and he settled the accounts. He who received the five talents came forward, brought the five talents, 
saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents, and I made five talents more. And his master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. Now I'm going to set you over much. Enter into joy of your master. And he, and he also who had the two talents came forward. And he said, Master, you gave me two talents. Here I've made two more. The master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who received the one talent came forward. And he said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went, and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. And he gives him the one talent back. He did nothing with it. Um, and his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, give it to him who has 10 talents. So you've now wasted your talent. For to everyone who has will be, for to everyone who has will be, will more be given. And he will have an abundance from the one who has not. Even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see what happened? So he gave them these talents. He gave them these gifts, these resources. Two of them took their resources and used them and multiplied them and did greater things. One of the resources hid his talent, took his talent and didn't do anything with it. And, I mean, it's a pretty, pretty harsh parable. And so God wants to use you to change the world. He has given you talents. He has given you at least a talent to change the world. He doesn't want you to hide. He doesn't want you to squander it. He wants you to understand and realize what are your talents? What are your talents? And then how can you help deploy them? I want to end with this quote by Tozer. And it says this. It says, as we study God's character and attributes, we will discover an important fact. Time and space, matter and motion, life and law, form in order, all purpose and all plan, all succession and all procession begin and end with God. All things move out from God and return to him again. I pray that God may open our eyes to see him and understand that whatever does not begin in God and end in God is not worthy of any attention from man made in the image of God. We were made for God to worship and admire and enjoy and serve him forever we were made for god to worship and admire and enjoy and serve him forever Uh, pray with me father we thank you for gifts we thank you that you have given us gifts many of us in this room if we were really honest sometimes feel like we don't have anything to offer and we wonder like where is our place especially in a big church like this we go man where am i ever going to fit in where am i going to make a difference and i thank you that um Man, this church here is serious about people making a difference for you. Um, in fact, you can't even be a part of this body unless you're not making a difference for you somehow, some way, and using your gifts. And so by your spirit, uh, would you help us not to squander what you have given us? Would you help us to realize our potential? Would you help us be confident in you that we would not compare ourselves to one another? We would not be prideful or boastful in our any skill that you've given us, or any gift that you've given us, but that we would give you all credit, all honor, all glory, and that you would help us to truly find our mission, this place in life where we can make a significant impact uh, to change the course of history for someone. And we pray these in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Um,
No, next week we're going to get into heart and abilities. And, man, I'm really excited about that because that, that really starts to get into the meat of combining some of these things. Um, during the break, you were given a couple things. One of the things that you were given was a, a, a summary of some of the uh, core spiritual gifts that we see. This list is not exhaustive. Um, it's, it's a list that kind of gives you the gift and then gives you a one-sentence summary statement. And so you can take that with you. Again, this is just one tool. We're going to give you a couple of other tools. But take this tool with you. Read over it this week. Uh, On the flip side of that, we gave you the three major passages on the spiritual gifts and then gave you the, um, and then above gave you the definition that goes with that gift. And so begin to just look over that. Um, I would even challenge you to pray over that. So as you read that gift, read that one sentence statement. Pray about that and say, God, hey, is this something? Even if it's something, again, like I said, don't assume you know yourself as well as God knows you. And so read that statement, pray over it and say, God, hey, I don't think I have the gift of mercy, but do I have this ability to detect hurt and emphasize with those who are suffering? Or is that something you could help me do? And so begin to pray over those, um, over those spiritual gifts. Um, another form that we put on your table is a shape form, and that's a form that goes with this book, um, that, that we're sort of basing the, this next couple of weeks after. And so my friend, Brett Bradshaw, is going to come up and tell you about that. Now, you may not know this, but we have a residency program at Watermark. So every year, uh, folks come in, they apply. Uh, Brett is in our residency program. They come in, spend a whole year um, on our staff, serving, leading. Much of this, cl- this class wouldn't even exist without Brett's great work and all the uh, great effort that he has put in and making this class very excellent, even these, these sheets that you have at your table. And so we're very thankful for Brett and his gifts and how God is using him on mission with us at Watermark. And so if that's something that you guys are interested with in doing, uh, the process to apply is coming up um, and we start that every single summer. It's a one-year residency program uh, here at Watermark. And so Brett's going to come up and tell you about that shape form. Thanks, Rick. So like Rick said, my name is Brett, and I'm in the residency program. I work with Rick Wisner, who's in the back here in the connecting ministry. And as you walked in, you should have received a shape form. Does anyone not have one of these forms? So what the shape form is, is a tool for you as you walk through this class, the Find Your Mission class, as you start to discover these various components of how God has created you, your spiritual gifts, your heart, your abilities, your personality, your experiences, use this to start recording those. And as we finish the class, this is an opportunity for you to communicate to us how God has wired you so that we can have a documented form to know if there's an opportunity of service that fits how God has created you, this is the way that we will know um, know that. And so as we walk through the class, as you pray with God, what, what spiritual gifts have you given me? Write that down. As you start to reflect on how, uh, what is my heart, what do I, am I passionate about? Write that down. Your abilities, your personality, your experiences, all those play in together to how God has equipped you to service where you are right now uh, today. And just to share really briefly my story, Rick mentioned to you that I am in the residency program. And so for the past two years, I've worked in a, for a consulting firm. I had an opportunity to go into organizations and solve problems. And as I spent time abiding with Christ and seeking God to understand what my mission was, I knew that God had given me ability and a desire to love people 
and to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to use every bit of what he's created me to do to live out that mission. And so as I went through this process that you're going through right now, it led me to where I am today, talking to you, pursuing the residency program here at Watermark Community Church. Uh, And I don't know where that's going to lead. What I know where it will lead to is living faithfully where God has me every single day. And today, that's at Watermark. And uh, getting to walk alongside you in this Find Your Mission class. So, Rick, uh, thanks for letting me speak tonight. And please use this as a tool for you as you walk through the Find Your Mission class and give it to us as a way to communicate with you going forward. Thanks, Brett. Listen, nobody go quit your job tomorrow, though, first, okay? So don't quit your job yet. Uh, you haven't found your mission yet, so don't, don't do that. Um, but, um, man, I'm excited about this process. Uh, it, it, you know, if you guys can work on that sheet this week, um, what we want to do is use, bring that with you next week. If you have a community group between now and the time we meet next week, I hope that you do. You know, maybe, maybe invite your community group into that process. You know, hopefully you're comfortable enough uh, with your community group, you know, and they know you well enough to go, hey, here's some things on my heart. Here's some things I'm working through as I'm trying to discover where God has me to make an impact for him. And I don't have all the answers yet, but I'm praying through it. And so, um, you know, invite your community group in that. Invite people that you trust, people that have known you for a while. If you have a, a good relationship with your family, your parents, maybe that's some folks that you ask about that. Um, but I would encourage you to invite others in. What we hope to do next week, just to set the expectation, we're talking about heart and abilities. And I'm going to share with you a little bit more in detail about my story and how my heart has, um, how God has really shaped my heart and my passions for how he's using me on mission um, and we want to help you do the same. And so we're going to next week do what's called a heart inventory and work through that. And, and our idea with that is this, that on the fifth night, as we talk about place, we want to help facilitate some discussions, maybe uh, bring in some folks, maybe um, have some panels. And so we want to try to do some creative stuff on that last night that we're together using the information that you fill out on this sheet and some of the information that you'll fill out in the next couple of weeks. And so um, if you can do that this week, that'd be awesome. And, um, and I'm really excited about these next three weeks, specifically the heart, the passions, our experience, and how God uses all that together to find our, our place. And so let me close this out with prayer. We'll be down here, um, Rick and Brett, myself. And so if you have any questions, you want to chat, man, come on down. Let's talk. And um, during the week, if you guys have any questions, we'd love uh, to visit with you as well. So we pray. God, uh, again, we, we're just in awe of you. And, and man, help us to become more captivated by the beauty of Jesus, the fact that you sent him to earth so that we could have a relationship with you, um, that the Spirit would draw us to yourself, the fact that our life um, doesn't have to be lived like the lemmings that are in the world who don't know you. Their eyes are blind. And so may we have a heart and compassion for those who many of us are on mission with all day in our jobs tomorrow, the people that we're going to see in our cubicle next to us that may not even have the foggiest idea who you are and who think we're insane. And may our life, may our life reflect that masterpiece, that we're not insane, that we have a creator who loves us, that we have found new life in you, new life uh, in a relationship with you through Jesus. And so may we, may we live lives like that. May you help our hearts be set on the things that your heart is set on. May we be on mission for the things that you're on mission about because outside of these walls we live in a world that tells us to be on mission for everything about except this 
to compare ourselves, to try to find our approval in people, in our boss, and our employers. And may we strive hard to find our approval and our, our worth and our identity and our relationship with you. And so we, we are just so thankful for you in our life and that you can take crooked pencils and make straight lines with folks like us. And so we love you and we praise you. I thank you for my friends here today. I pray that you give them discernment. I pray that you help them uh, with big, bright neon signs uh, to, to, to find their mission. And when those signs aren't there, that they would trust you in the uncertainty. We love you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. All right.